0: Whose story is it? The way I see it, there are two options. Option number one is this. It's our story. It's your story. Life, the world, everything in it, it revolves around, it centres around you. The Bible is all about you. Of course, there are other people involved. Jesus plays his part. There are Other people who involve themselves in our lives. But when the Oscar gets handed out, when the trophy is finally awarded, it's you that gets the prize for lead actor. That's option number one. Option number two, and this is the right option, by the way, is that it's Jesus's story. That he's both the author and the director and has the starring role. Problem is, nine times out of 10, we plumb for option one rather than option two. You might have noticed it in your own life. You've probably noticed it in the lives of people around you. But nine times out of 10, we make all manner of stories about us. That's just in our nature, that no matter who the story really is all about, somehow we figure out a way of manipulating it, of twisting it, of changing it so that we take centre stage. And when we do that with the story of the Bible, when we do that with the, the story of God and us and the world, we tend to get stuck on forgiveness. We come as far as the cross, which is where we were last week, and we find it difficult to go any further because... Nothing further than that really makes sense. If the story of the Bible, if the story of the word become flesh is really all about me or is really all about you, then at last, the problem that we have has been solved. I've got my achievement unlocked and really all that's left to do is to wait for the prize at the end. But when we do that, When, nine times out of ten, we make it all about us, when we read the Bible like that, when we try to understand the whole story, we get really confused. It seems to be, if you read it, about so many other things, about so much more than just me and my forgiveness. Sometimes it can seem like it's about something completely different altogether. And we find that difficult to get our heads around. That makes it that when we read our Bible, it seems irrelevant. It, it seems confusing. It seems alien to us because it's not about me and my forgiveness. And let me reiterate, the reason that we think that when we come to our Bible isn't because it is irrelevant. It isn't even because it is confusing. It's because we've picked the wrong option when we choose option number one as the defining narrative of everything me at the center of course things are going to get confusing but when we see that the story of God and us and everything in between is really a story all about Jesus well then things start to fall into place you know how the story starts don't you God created everything. That's what it says in the beginning. He created all things and he created it good. Or as John puts it, John, whose biography of Jesus we've been following along for the last couple of weeks, he, Jesus, created all things and nothing exists that was not created by him. That creation, when you stop and you think about it, in the beginning wasn't broken. In fact, in his own words, God declared it very good. More than just being created and created well, it was created with a purpose. If you go back to the first pages of the Bible, the first couple of chapters in Genesis, you'll see that the purpose of all creation, and especially humanity, was that God's glory, his goodness, his um, reputation, his name, his fame, that they would fill this new thing called the cosmos. That humans were put in place, God's image bearers, to take him and to fill creation. And it's so, so important that when we're trying to understand this true story, the truest story that's ever been told, of how God made everything, and what he's doing with that creation, it's so important that we start heading off in the right direction. Because if we're heading off in the wrong direction, i.e. we're making this story all about ourselves, then we'll get nowhere really, really fast. So when it comes to the rebellion, page three of the Bible, when humanity decides that it's not about God anymore, but it's about us, God's representatives going their own way? It isn't an interruption in our magnificent story. It's an interruption in his story. It's an interruption in his purposes. And so the light that comes and shines in the darkness, the life that comes to overtake death, the saviour that is found in place of sin, These things that we encounter in Jesus are a new beginning and not the final chapter in the tale. The story of Jesus, the story of the Bible, doesn't finish with your forgiveness. At the cross we find the foundations, the new beginnings of what Jesus and God have always been doing. And that new beginning is, in so many senses, the same as the old beginning, before it went askew. But God has this grand purpose, far grander than any purpose you or I would ever dream up. To go and to fill the earth with his glory, with his name, with his renown. His honour and praise would be on the lips, would be seen, would be enjoyed and would be heard. That all people in all creation would know their author. And you get that exact sense when you read the closing chapters of John's Gospel. John chapter 20 verse 21. Jesus has died. But more than that, he's been buried and he's risen to life again, and now his his followers are encountering this newly alive Jesus. Chapter 20, verse 21. This is what Jesus says to them. Having accomplished forgiveness for our sins on the cross, he says, As the Father has sent me, so also I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so also I am sending you. The work is ongoing. But now we are called to be a part of it. John chapter 21 to Peter, one of Jesus's closest followers, one of his closest friends. He shares these instructions to feed my lambs, to shepherd my sheep, to feed my sheep. And we're supposed to think, "Well, hang on a second, Jesus, you're the shepherd. What's going on here? That he's inviting us now as forgiven people to be a part of his story. If you like, the whole of John's gospel is just John simply being obedient to Jesus' instruction, to testify to him, to bear witness to him. This isn't John taking the initiative. He hasn't found out something interesting and and decided off his own back that it's something that he needs to share. Jesus has commissioned his followers to spread the news, to spread the name, to spread his glory far and wide. Just as Adam and Eve and humanity were commissioned in the first place. The story is unfinished because God has given us a job to do. To take his name to the ends of the earth. And what's so wonderful about these instructions. What's so wonderful about this story that we're invited to be a part of. Is that we find out it isn't a fruitless task. It isn't a futile task. Because what's to come. The closing scenes in this great drama. Their aspirations made reality. If you see it in seed form in the garden of people spreading God's glory through creation. If you hear it on the lips of Jesus when he commands his followers to go to tell others about him. To introduce others to the living God. Then you see it finally and fully made true. In the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the final book in our Bibles. And it's another offering from John. The same John who wrote that biography account of Jesus' life. And it is possibly the most controversial book in the whole Bible. And I want us to look at it. But I, I want to say a few things before we do. Um, part of the reason that the book of Revelation causes so much Anxiety causes so much stress, confusion, cynicism, excitement, the whole gamut of emotions, as Uncle Bryn might say. The the whole reason is because it's the culmination of the Scriptures. John, the author of Revelation, was an expert in the Bible. And the reason that we just don't come to Revelation and understand it is because we've misunderstood the rest of the Bible. We've come at the Bible as a whole with our option one thinking, that it's a book, that it's a story that's all about you and me finding forgiveness. So whenever we encounter a part of the story that doesn't fit that narrative, then we either have to twist it or ignore it. And so when it comes to The book of Revelation, which ties together all the strands of God's scripture. When it finally draws them together, what God has been saying throughout his Bible that he's going to do. We find it really confusing because we've not understood what God has told us is going to happen. See, if you want to understand the book of Revelation, you don't need to come to it with um, a, a, a table of prophecies. Or um, a timetable of the future or current events. You don't need any of those things. What you need is God's Word. What you need is the Bible and a little bit of time, perhaps even a lifetime of understanding the rest of the scriptures in order to see clearly what God is saying in the end. Those other things, prophecy charts timetables of world events they can actually be evil things which distract us from the truth of what god is saying but a lifetime spent in god's word heading in the right direction of understanding the scriptures as the unfolding story of god's glory coming and being known while well, a lifetime of studying that will help us to understand what's going on in revelation That being said, one place we can go in Revelation with relative ease is the final couple of pictures, the final scenes, if you like, in the great drama. With the rest of Scripture, one of the places probably we're most familiar is with Eden, is with the start of how God made things and what life was supposed to be like before our rebellion ruined things. And it's that imagery, it's that laying out the road map for what's going to come ahead that John finally brings together in the last couple of chapters. The story has been about this all the way through, and now we see it clearly. Let me read to you just a couple of pieces, firstly from Revelation chapter 1, and then from Revelation chapter 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw also the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them, and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Chapter 22. Similarly, then he showed me the river, the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. And the tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. You see, it's a wonderful, glorious... Beautiful picture of God's glory, of God's coming and filling, creation. God coming to dwell in what he has made with what he has made. When you stop and you think about it and you read it, it's the exact opposite of the thinking that normally goes. The story of the Bible is about us finding forgiveness and escaping this world. It's a story that is about him. It's about God coming and dwelling. His glory being seen and felt and experienced. This new creation, a a heavenly space and an earthly space that have come together. You might have noticed that it necessarily doesn't include things that are unclean. Things that are impure, things that are blemished and broken. You see, Jesus has done away with all those things. Jesus has been making all things new. And it's not just the absence of those things, it's the absence of the effects of those things. No more death, no more grief, no more crying, no more pain. Why? Because at last, God is here. God is known. God is dwelling with his people. There are are so many strands that you could pull out, couldn't you? The sea that is no more. You go back to the beginning and it is out of the sea that a place, a space for mankind and God to dwell together is, is made. And now that work is at last complete. No more need for the sea. This holy city, this Jerusalem, Which throughout the scriptures is the place where God abides with his people. That is the picture of the end. That is the the ultimate goal. God is there amongst his people. The leaves of the tree of life. Which once were used to cover the shame. Of rebellion. Now those leaves have been taken and they are used to heal. Ooh, the nations. In the beginning, in the beginning, the whole purpose and the whole point of humanity was to go, to become nations that filled this earth and knew God. We frustrated that plan, that purpose, but Jesus was always about putting it back on track. And now, in the final pages, that purpose is realised. The nations are healed. It speaks a little earlier on of the kings of the earth bringing glory into it. The nations walking by the light of this city. At last the entire cosmos knows that God is God. I think it's such a wonderful picture. And it's so much more than that. Small and simple idea we get when we go with option one. That the story is about us and our forgiveness. It's about that and so, so much more. God's, his glory, filling the world. That picture has always been the story. And I want to leave us with two things. The first one is this. That you are invited to be a part of that story. Further down, Jesus speaks these words. Look, I am coming. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to enter the city. That they may come to the tree of life. That's the invitation that is there for all of us. We've been unpacking it over the last couple of weeks about how Jesus came to reveal himself to us. The light into the darkness. How he came to be the one who took away death. The, the, the punishment for our sin and our rebellion and in its place offer us light. To be a part of what he is doing and has been doing in the entire cosmos all through history. We're invited to be a part of it, and I wonder, are you a part of it? You can be. You can be because of what Jesus has done. In both pictures, there's the description of the Lamb. John, in his Gospel, said that Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had described Jesus as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, the one who came to make it so that God and humanity could once again dwell together. Come to Jesus, follow him, believe in him, have life, not just life now, but life eternal, life unlike any life we've ever experienced. Life free from pain, from crying, from death, not that sort of life, but life where God himself Is our light. That's the first thing. You're invited to be a part of it. And the second thing is this that we're invited to be a part of writing it. We're invited to be a part of writing these final chapters. As we live, as we speak for Jesus, we can be people who take his glory everywhere with us right here, right now. We don't have to wait until some unspecified future date for the cataclysmic, apocalyptic uh, finishing, rolling up, unveiling of all things. We're called, we're commanded by Jesus to be a part of that here and now. We heard it when he spoke to his followers. As the Father has sent me, so also I am sending you. Peter, feed my sheep, look after my lambs. John was being obedient to this call when he wrote what he wrote. And we're invited to be a part of that too. To be a part of helping others to be amongst those who will enjoy this reality forever. Truly there is no greater story to be a part of. And God's graciousness, his kindness to us is that we're all invited to be a part of it. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you that your plans and your purposes are so much bigger than we could ever imagine. Lord, we acknowledge that far, far, far too often we make everything about us. We push you to the margins or worst of all, we erase you completely. Lord, I thank you that your word, your story reveals to us that we are loved, yes, but that is what is of most important, the primary thing, is you and your glory. Lord, the the reason for our very existence is that we might enjoy you and share that enjoyment with the rest of what you have created. Lord, I thank you that Jesus has come. He has lived, he has died, he has risen again, so that we can carry on being part of that story. That we don't need to be shut out from what will come. With with the impure, with the blemished, with the broken, with the rebellious. But we can be made new just like creation will be made new and I thank you for that. I pray for anybody who's been watching along today, who's been watching along over the last couple of weeks, that they will have done exactly as John hoped, that they will have seen Jesus, believed in him and found life. Lord, and I pray for those of us who have found life, those of us who are no longer in the darkness but have seen the light, who who are walking in the light of life. Lord God, I pray that you would You would make us to be people who are writing your story with you. What a privilege. What a privilege to be invited into the writer's room. To be a part of this glorious and grand plan and purpose that you have been at work throughout human history. Lord, we thank you for that privilege. I pray that you would help us to be a people who take your glory with them. Who extend your glory to those we encounter. Who invite others to join us in this eternal purpose of yours. To dwell with us in life like we've never experienced, never even really understood, Lord, because of Jesus. Help us to be your church. Help us to be people like John, who wrote these words. To be faithful and obedient to your calling to us. We pray together. Amen.